Welcome to the good, the bad, and the horrible. A weekly podcast where OG millennials have honest and candid conversations about dating, sex, yes, butt stuff, relationships, entanglements, and everything in between. Starring your host, Scarlett Prynne. Pull those anal beads out slowly. This is not a lawnmower. You don't want to hit a snag. (laughs) And featuring guests, Hazel Goddess. If you're not at least nine inches, you're not getting on this ride. (laughs) Lolita Rum. It hasn't been anything this big in front of my mouth in a while. (laughs) Athena Ludus. Going without deck is like being in a desert surrounded by water and you refuse to drink. Willow Gray. If I saw my man with another woman, I'd have to cut a bitch. <laughs> and first-time guest, Vixen Moore. No, the more hyper-masculine and alpha a guy is, the more he is going to want to be fucked in the ass. <laughs> we have a special guest I am so excited about. I actually met this person at a poly group, a poly trivia night, and happened to sit next to her and I'm so glad that I did because she is one of the most fascinating people I have ever met. Vixen, who is a dominatrix, but also former college <laughs> professor in the sciences, which is yeah. very fascinating. And so you sort of collide these worlds in some of the things that you do where you talk about the science behind sexuality which is really interesting absolutely i am looking forward to diving in on this and let's be honest it's because you handed me one of your business cards well absolutely (laughs) i hand them to everyone so of course i did and you listened and you gave me some really great feedback about the podcast so i'm really excited to have you come join us and hopefully this will be an ongoing thing and not just a one-time thing yeah that would be really great i think i've listened to at least half of them now. nice that's fantastic that's great yeah yeah so tell us a little bit of background how did you end up becoming a dominatrix I was lucky that I had a mom who was very open with me about sexuality and helping me find resources and take me to the library back when that was the way to find information. And by the time I got to high school, she was telling me I should be a sex therapist, but I didn't really think that was an option. But because I had been exploring so much, I was actually bored with regular sex before I got my first kiss at 14. Wow. So it was like, what do you mean you were bored with it? Because you hadn't done it, obviously. I hadn't done it. So when you say bored with it, you mean like bored of reading about it or hearing about it or watching it? or I was really into reading. And so lots of like literatica and that sort of thing. So I was going in and finding all of these different fetishes and like consensual non-consent and just whatever I could get my hands on. And so it made me realize there was a much bigger world out there than the little world that I was growing up in. So I need to introduce you to my 17 year old because it reminds me of her because she's the same way, like Mm -hmm. full of curiosity and loves this topic. So I think she would relate to you a lot. But I'm curious because we just recorded an episode about kids and sexuality and Mm -hmm. i had talked about how she wants to come on the podcast and we had sort of a debate about that where a lot of the people in the room were telling me no that's condoning and you shouldn't be having her participate in that what is your opinion having had a mom that clearly was very open Mm -hmm. do you feel like that was a good healthy thing that was absolutely the healthiest thing i could imagine and i am who i am because of my mom Mm -hmm. and because my mom treated me like an adult 
even when I was young. She actually joked about that I was older than her. I just happened to be born after her. Ah. (laughs) But I could see that there were very different roles between me and my sister and that my sister needed a lot more guidance and Mm. was had to have those rules enforced where I could do kind of whatever I wanted because, she, as she put it, I was harder on myself than she could ever be on me. Oh, I was a good student. I was mm. a cheerleader and tennis mm-hmm. player, and I graduated valedictorian in my class. And mm-hmm. so if it happens that I like to have sex, but she knew I was doing it in a safe way and I was on birth control and that I was being responsible about my choice of partners, then she encouraged me to stay safe. And her thought process was if she put down rules, I was going to break them. Mm -hmm. And then she wouldn't know. Versus if I felt like it was something that I was comfortable coming to her for, then she would be caught, kept in the loop. And that's true even to this day. And like we mentioned before coming on the air, that I was a stripper when I got to college. It was like my sophomore year and ended up moving and having to like moved very suddenly and was like, oh my God, how am I going to get money for a deposit? So I started researching different strip clubs in the area and had a friend go with me and was like, oh, okay, wait, this place has like a five-star restaurant as part of it. I was Mm -hmm. like, oh yeah, I can definitely do this. This is cool. So I started stripping then and I told my mom and she was like, oh, actually your dad and I met at a strip club. And I was like, oh wait, what? (laughs) (laughs) A little TMI. (laughs) But she was like, I was a waitress. But I could never get on stage. I tried twice. And even with $500 and a whole bottle of Jack, I just couldn't do it. So if you can do it, make your money, get in, get out, don't live the lifestyle. And it turns out it worked out very well for me because I could work just a couple nights a week and make enough money to support myself and then spend the rest of the time focusing on my grades so that I could make it through college. And So what was that experience like doing that? Did you have any kind of shame or self-loathing or anything attached to that like a lot, I think, do? (laughs) Not at all. No? Okay. So you were totally fine with it. Now, I did have an issue that I would run into that I would usually work for three months at a time and then take a month off. Mm. And that kept me grounded in terms of realizing that I had a worth outside of that because sometimes you end up with bad nights and you actually you have to pay to work as a stripper. It's kind of like um, if you know like about hairstylists and stuff Mm -hmm. that they have to pay like their booth fees. Mm -hmm. You pay a house fee to show up to work. Wow. Mm -hmm. I didn't know Depending on the clubs, like there were some of the clubs around here that you might pay $100 just to go make money. Right. Mm -hmm. And it depends on like on a Sunday or Monday, the slow nights, you might not have a house fee or they might require you to work one of the slow nights and then you could work whatever else you wanted the rest of the week just to guarantee that you had enough girls in for whenever somebody showed up. And then the later you came in in the night, like if you showed up just for prime time, you might end up having to pay like $70. But if you came in and were on stage before seven, it was only $20. Mm. So those types of fee schedules would come in. And then you'd have, if you paid for your makeup artist or having your hair done, you had to tip out your DJ. You had to tip out the Mm. house mom who's in the back helping you take care of anything you need and keeping your locker and those kinds of things. So it was very easy to actually come out of owing money at the wow. end of the night if wow. you weren't careful. Mm. So, so is that what you meant when you said a bad night? Uh-huh. A bad okay. night would be you end up not making money. And it wasn't just you didn't make money. You're an independent contractor. You don't even get the minimum wage kind of mm-hmm. salaries. Mm. So a bad night would be negative money. I applied at a, a strip club back home. I lost my job as a paralegal. My attorney actually died of breast cancer. So they laid me off and I had bills to pay. I had a child to take care of. Got to do what you got to do. Right. Yeah. And so I got a call and the owner of the strip club was an attorney. 
<laughs> and he had told me, he brought me in for an interview and he's like, what the hell are you doing? And I'm like, I, I need a job. He goes, okay, well, I'll give you a waitress job. He goes, but I want you to come in and work for me as a paralegal. I'm losing my paralegal for a surgery. And he goes, but I want you, it's interesting you said not the lifestyle because he said, you go in, you work and you leave. You do not hang around. You don't talk to anybody. He goes, because so many girls I see get in this college and they get in the lifestyle and they end up quitting college and they end up becoming addicted. And he said, and if I knew how much money I would make before law school, being an owner of a strip club, I wouldn't have gone to law school. (laughs) So, yeah. So he said, don't get in the lifestyle. You work and you go home. So that's interesting that you said that about the lifestyle. Well, and for me, having my mom know what I was doing kept me, Mm -hmm. uh, I don't want to say clean. Grounded, though. Yeah, Yeah. it kept me grounded. Mm -hmm. It was because I could talk with her about it. And the rest of my family didn't know what I was doing. Mm -hmm. But because I had somebody looking out for me, checking in on me, and I knew that I could be honest with her about what was going on, it actually was a saving grace for me. Mm -hmm. And it was actually really surprising how many textbooks there are backstage. And a lot of the times I would actually do tutoring. Oh, wow. Wow. And yeah, because half of the girls were in college. The other half were usually like single moms, something Mm -hmm. like that. Maybe 10% would be party girls because Mm -hmm. those girls are going to wash out in three months. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So if anybody who's been there for more than a few months, then they had to have some sort of good head on their shoulders or they weren't going to make it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Why do you say that? Is that basically being around the drugs and just the is it is it the constant objectification? Does that wear on you? I actually didn't see very much like in terms of trouble, like the girls backstage have, all seem to have very healthy attitudes about themselves. If anything, you get more high egos because of it. <laughs> but it didn't really weigh on me unless you had a bunch of bad nights in a row. And then you start going, wow, I must be ugly. I must not be doing as well. So it it was when you weren't making money. So it's actually when people weren't objectifying you that you considered it a bad night. Yes. That is interesting. Yeah. And at the time, I also had a guy that I had started to date. And then I told him that I was stripping. And he went, well, I've never been to a strip club. So I don't know about this. So I (gasps) took him in and got him a dance from one of the other girls. And he was like, oh. Okay, yeah, this is totally fine. And he actually ended up getting a job there as a bar back. And people were like, how do you handle that? Like watching your girl on stage. And he's like, they're paying for the fantasy of being with her. She right. comes home with me. Right. Why would I be insecure? Yeah, yeah. right. <laughs> yeah. This yeah. is great. Yeah. Nice. Okay. So you but, did that for a little while. And mm-hmm. then how did it eventually end up into becoming a dominatrix? Well, I had actually already started getting into BDSM when I was about 16. (laughs) Well, I was going to ask about that, actually, because being a teenager that was obviously more enlightened about a lot of things in sexuality, what was that like being with, I assume, people close to your age that probably didn't have near the scope of understanding about it that you did? Yeah, that was something that I typically dated older people. And it happened that I dated a guy on and off for about three years that was honestly uh, probably too old for me mm. but he was somebody like that my mom knew and as she put it the guys your age are going to treat you like crap and he worships the ground you walk on uh-huh. and I can see he is uncomfortable about your age it just happens he met you at an inappropriate time in your life where if y'all had met when you were 25 nobody would about it an eye right mm. so the fact that my mom knew him and everything was on the up and up that she actually encouraged that relationship. But because he was eight years older than me, 
he did have a lot more of the other experience. Mm -hmm. And it, again, helped give me a safe introduction into it. That then when I went to college, he ended up moving with me for about a year until we broke up for other reasons. But it so was did you guys have a sub-dom relationship? A little bit. It was more of kind of exploring fantasies and fetishes of sometimes including callers and things like that. But it wasn't necessarily a strict dom-sub relationship. It was like, a, hey, what do you want to learn? What do you want to explore? And getting to explore together on those types of things. Then as I got further into college and meeting other people there, I, again, it was a lot of internet exploring. Um, at one point, I ended up working at an adult store. It was specifically, was a fetish store. It was part of the Sarah's Secret condoms to go chain. Oh, okay. And it happened that we had been customers there. At that point, I was married. And we had gone to a friend's house to make some leather toys. We were learning to make floggers and stuff. And we had a, our toy bag and the sides of leather and stuff in the car. And we went out that night and our car got broken into. Oh, wow. Well, we had to file an insurance claim and <laughs> oh. list out everything that was stolen. And they were like, okay, yeah, this is fine. And then we didn't hear anything for like a week. And we're like, just say goodbye to those Awkward. things. And we're like, is there a problem? They're like, no, it just happens that one agent opened the the file and then went on vacation for a week so no it's oh. totally fine we'll still pay you for all your sex toys <laughs> but we had to go into this toy store and price out yeah like try to find the mm. closest matching things and show the values and stuff so then when we got the check from the insurance company of like crap now we got a thousand dollars to spend on sex toys ah! like that's well that's what i was gonna ask i'm in insurance and i'm like <laughs> did you have to prove receipts or how did you how did you put a dollar amount so I you mean, actually had to go back because, in and kind of estimate yeah but, we yeah. had to estimate it and they were like i guess thinking that nobody was going to lie about these things. We <laughs> yeah, probably not. <laughs> yeah. Or they weren't going to actually question. They were just yeah. like, let's just pay them and get it done. Yeah. We don't need to no know one, anything else. No one wanted to do the research. Right. 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 So in the process of, of explaining what was going on to the workers at the sex store, then they were like, oh, hey, well, you seem really knowledgeable on this topic. And I was like, oh, yeah, I've been in the lifestyle, I guess, at this point, probably like eight years or so. So they were like, oh, hey, well, do you want a job? And I was in grad school. So I was like, oh, yeah, I could do a part time job. This will be great. And so I started working there. And I one half of the store was like the more bachelorette party kind of stuff. And then our side specifically was fetish and BDSM. Mm. So in the process of working there, sometimes we'd have clients that would come in and would ask looking for dominatrix information. And I was like, man, I, I wish I knew more about that. But I'm a sub. And part of my reasoning was that I wanted to be really good at something before I did it in front of other people. So again, I researched a lot and was like, hey, I could do this. But part of the difference on it is when you work as a professional dominatrix, it's not your fantasies that you're fulfilling. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You're fulfilling their fantasies. Right. And if you don't meet their criteria and mark their checklist, they aren't going to book you again. Yeah. So it isn't about my pleasure on those types of sessions. So eventually I just was like, I'm, you know, I'm going to make up some business cards and I'm going to start contacting people about this. And I had a few people who reached out to me from FetLife and oh, wow. those kinds of uh, websites. I was advertising on Craigslist at the time they had an adult entertainer mm -hmm. section. Mm -hmm. And then I got hired on as a professor and went, ooh, 
I can't have (laughs) any advertisements around. Yeah. So any of my clients that I have now are somebody who was from back during that time period and they've stayed with me all these years. Wow. Or then if they've given word of mouth or if I've met somebody out at other events. Now, were you ever concerned about safety? Yeah. I would always meet them in a public area first. Like they'd Mm -hmm. have to at least go to Starbucks or something like that beforehand just so that we could get a feel for each other, make sure that we were on the same page. Because if they were asking me for something that I didn't feel comfortable doing, nobody was going to be upset if you're already like at a hotel Mm -hmm. or at whatever location you were going to use and then have them be like, oh, well, I thought I was going to get laid. Absolutely not, sir. Now, what if they arranged, okay, I want to meet with you tonight. This is the things that I want to do. No intercourse. And then in the moment when they're in that session with you, they get to the point where they're like, oh my God, I want intercourse. Does that happen? How do you handle that? It's not an option. It is very much that it is a non-sexual thing. The vast majority Mm -hmm. of the time, I'm probably going to be fully clothed. And part of the fantasy for them is that I am unattainable. I've actually had guys say, if you were to have sex with me, it would ruin it. Wow. So I I have to be on the pedestal. So they, the best they're going to get is I might let them jack themselves off at the end. But their orgasm is not my priority. How's the money? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Athena's thinking about this. (laughs) Hmm. (laughs) I typically start at 200 an hour. Wow. There you go, Athena. Your side hustle. I didn't know that there was a business like that. That's how naive I am. I didn't know that there was Me people neither. that actually oh, yeah. have oh, a business. Yeah. Oh, yeah. There are some that have their own dungeons. And wow. It's actually more that I've seen them get in trouble for having the facility. Okay. And I've never had a colleague get in trouble for their services. You mentioned right. it was not sexual. Not so sexual. what typically is it that you're doing with these men? What are the most popular requests? Oh, so I guess in terms of the question of his sexual, that the gray area for me is what like on pegging. That is mm-hmm. one of the biggest requests I get is somebody asking for some sort of strap on play. Mm-hmm. And the other ones are pain related, um, either from flogging or, or spanking or CBT, cock and ball torture. Ooh. Interesting. That is a pretty common what, one. What, now, the yeah. t- the types of guys that are asking for this, mm-hmm. what what types? Just stereotypical people that you would the, expect or no? Is no, it totally out of the box? It, they are the middle-aged white guys, usually CEOs, doctors. It's people mm-hmm. that have power in their lives. They already have to make all the decisions. It's really hard to keep your crown on all the time. You have heavy as the head that wears the crown. Mm -hmm. So sometimes you need to take the crown off and have it polished before you can put it back on. What percentage of them are married? Almost all. Really? A lot of the time. It it depends. I guess some of them aren't, but a good portion of them are. are. There's only been one time that I've gotten contacted by a woman (gasps) being like, you're fucking my husband. I was like, "Uh, no, I'm not. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Turns out, here's what's going on. And she was like, but I could do that. And I go, he would love if you did this. Yeah. yeah. And it ended up with me going, I can give you lessons. I can help you. Do oh, this. Good. Yeah. And good. so then this is about the time that Fifty Shades of Grey came out. And she was like, so can when he misbehaves, can I just tell you so that you can give him extra punishments? And so, 
Like, <laughs> oh, can, oh, can wow. we make him go out and hold a sign in front of the Fifty Shades of Grey as women are leaving and have them all spank him or something like yeah. that? Oh, I was my like, God. All right, dude. Uh, we have to get you some business cards, too. <laughs> yeah. cool she was wife. very creative. That's yeah. a cool wife. So, yeah, no doubt. One of my customers has said that he is never going to have sex for the rest of his life. His life partner or his wife actually had a traumatic childhood mm-hmm. and she can't not or she can't have any aggression in the bedroom oh, okay. so for him to ask her to hurt him yeah. is something that would make her uncomfortable mm-hmm. so this is their ag- agreement for him to be able to love her and have everything be perfect in their marriage apart from this little aspect so mm-hmm. he can come to me and be spanked and have that kind of pain and then it makes him the best husband Mm-hmm. Now, did he have a sex life with his wife at all? He he just didn't want. She just couldn't handle the aggressive aspect. At, he was currently quite old, so mm-hmm. I do know that they have a daughter together, and so they uh, had a sex life at one point. But I think it was more of a means to an end kind of thing, and so mm-hmm. he knows that it puts extra pressure on her. So he doesn't want to ask her for it. Mm-hmm. She will do it. He doesn't want to put her in that situation. Right. Mm-hmm. Oh. Wow, that's, that's so I difficult. think he said at that point when he told me about it that they hadn't had sex in like 12 years. <gasps> oh my goodness. Wow. 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 And he had not slept outside of the marriage at all? And, and he never Only for had, dominatrix stuff. Only for dominatrix stuff. Did mm-hmm. you ever sleep with him? or uh, No, I've no. never slept with a client. Oh, wow. 100% separate thing. That's fantastic. Have you ever had a client though that you're kind of like, whoa, he's hot. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> maybe I'll, maybe I'll, there's an exception. I'll make an exception. <laughs> yeah. uh, I put a pretty big distinction. Like even if I met somebody, even like at the strip club and there was a chance that I wanted to go home with him, I would not accept a single dollar from him because oh. I wanted it to be known oh. that that was mm-hmm. not why I was with them. I guess there was one time I broke the rule. There was a guy that, I actually joked that he was one who put me through college. He came in like every Friday night (laughs) and he was a lawyer from Oklahoma Mm -hmm. and he couldn't go to clubs there because he couldn't have people recognize him. So he would come down to Dallas with his lesbian best friend. The rules in Dallas were that you couldn't come into a club by yourself if you were a female. You had to have oh. a male escort. Oh, Is that wow. still the, the rule? I'm not sure. At the time, Jaguars was the only place that didn't have that rule. And I think it had to do with preventing prostitution. Oh, okay. Like mm. women coming in off the street oh, and right. doing something. <laughs> okay. So he would come in with her as her escort and she would cover his bar tab. Oh. But he mm. pointed out like he was, I think, 33 years old. So a 33-year-old lawyer who was a good-looking guy could go and spend 50 bucks on a bar tab at a regular bar and get laid before coming in. Oh, sure. And it happened that he would never get dances or anything from the girls. And that one day I came up to the table and she wasn't there. She was off getting her dances. And he said something and I was a smart ass back to him. And he was like, okay, you can sit. And I ended up sitting with him every week. And I think the most, like, if you really were like, oh, I want to give you a dance, He's like, oh, you can dance for her and would like let you dance for another girl. Or like if you tried to dance for him, he could like move his legs so he'd fall on the ground and things like that and just Mm -hmm. keep cracking jokes Mm -hmm. the whole time. He's like, this does absolutely nothing for me. Yeah. But he liked having the rock star experience. Mm -hmm. So he wanted to come in and have his table be reserved, have his drinks made so that he never had to ask for a refill. At the end of the night, like we were a topless club that closed. We stopped serving alcohol at two. We'd usually stay up until four for legs and eggs. Mm -hmm. But there was a full nude place next door that was BYOB. 
So at the end of the night, he would have me go down to the valet, get his keys, go out to his truck, get his bottle from the truck, go next door, pay his cover, have his table set up there so that he could walk straight out of one club and into the next Wow. And never have to ask for it. What anything. did I tell you about attorneys the other day, guys? <laughs> <laughs> I rest my case. <laughs> so it actually ended up one night after, like, he actually stopped coming to my club. There was another club in town that got shut down for prostitution, and they hired all of the girls at our club. And suddenly you had a bunch of girls doing the extras and stuff. And he's like, I don't want to see blowjobs in the corner. Like, this is not what I come here for. Mm -hmm. So we had another friend and she had gone to work at a a different club. And so he would pay me to come to other clubs with him and just hang out and talk shit the whole time. And it was actually funny. His his rule became if if a girl came to the table, he'd insult you. And if you insulted him back, you got to stay. Oh, how funny. So we ended up hooking up one night just drunken mm-hmm. friends mm-hmm. kind of thing and mm-hmm. it was just a okay we'll just never talk about that Oops, sorry <laughs> so was that but was, was he any good but was he any good uh, was it good no we were know. both really drunk, drunk. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. it was just one of those damn what's the weirdest request you've ever gotten Ooh, one of my clients likes to have his head shaved oh interesting and hmm. i question this so, so he is specifically into cbt he wants to have his or balls tied as tightly as possible, then being taken into a salon where she does straight razor sha- head shaves, and I insult him the entire time and tell him how I should have taken him to the vet and had him neutered and things like that because his fetish is really about being a eunuch. And so mm. he wants to be stripped of all sexuality. And would love to be castrated. But that is something that I would not do Mm -hmm, for him. And he was like, well, if you just injure me enough that I go to the hospital and then they have to remove my testicles. And I was like, no, because legally, Mm -hmm. even if you sign a contract or something, it was not enforceable. They will call it Stockholm Syndrome and still prosecute me. So I will not do that. I told him that I would work with him to find a doctor and we could do chemical castration and have his testosterone removed from his system. And if he liked that, you know, we could pursue that route. But for him, he wants to be as degraded, lowly slave as possible. And for him, head shaving was part of that eunuch lifestyle. So do you ever, whenever you're going into these salons, are you telling them what's going on? Yes. I I would specifically talk with the girl beforehand and be like, all right, I'm going to, you're going to do the straight razor shave. I'm going to say it's not good enough. Do it again. Keep doing it for as long as you want and charge him for every single one. Mm -hmm. And then we're going to tip you this much. And I'm going to be insulting him and saying stuff like, are you okay with it? And if the girl's like, yep, I'm cool. Then we keep using that stylus. And I ask him like, okay, what is your reasoning for this? Like, Mm -hmm. why the head shaving? And he told me that he had actually been molested when he was young by a stylist. And so he's like, so I could either be traumatized by it or I could Mm. fetishize it. I went this route. That is so true. Mm -hmm. You must have come across so many different kind of fetishes and and some more peculiar than others. Mm -hmm. And I've read a book where there's... There's always a source to where this is coming from. And there's one one thing, what, what you said, which is, for example, people who enjoy watching someone else get murdered, right? Yeah. That's not everybody's thing. Right. But where did that come from? And I was reading that it's actually 
if a child sees something that is absolutely terrifying or anyone, your brain will capture something that is absolutely terrifying. And to be able to handle that, it'll reverse it and say it's actually pleasure. And it'll cause your body to actually experience pleasure. If a child sees something like that, their little body, their brain, their capacity to understand that is so they're not prepared for that. So they translate it as I could enjoy it instead of being tortured by this. And then it becomes some weird fantasy or, and I shouldn't say weird, but odd fantasy Mm -hmm. where they can gain pleasure from it instead. So I think that would cover for some things. I think a lot of it has to do with early childhood exposure to things. Like a lot of the times if there's high heels or pantyhose, it's a lot of times comes back to mom Mm -hmm. in some kind of way. Like you hear about guys finding that their mom would wash their pantyhose and then hang them to dry. And then while they were taking a bath, they would see those. And Mm. so that's where their connection came from. Or the shoe fetishes came Mm -hmm. from something that they had seen then. So I don't necessarily know all the time on trauma. But our bodies are hardwired to survive. Mm -hmm. And throughout most of human history, we have not been living comfortably. Mm -hmm. We've Mm -hmm. had to rely on fight or flight Mm -hmm. to be able to outrun a tiger. So now we don't have those stressors in our life. Mm-hmm. Our bodies still have that neurological system. Mm-hmm. And so you go, okay, I'm not fighting a tiger, but man, my work is really stressing me out. Mm-hmm. And your body is prone to those panic responses. One of the ways that your body fights against those, though, is to then give you a flood of endorphins to calm you down. So if you have people who like to go work out, you talk about runner's high. Mm-hmm. If you push yourself to an extreme point, eventually your body is like, you're being chased by a tiger. You're going to drop dead. No, here's a flood of endorphins. Keep going. Mm -hmm. And so if you can keep running, you survived. Mm -hmm. You then pass those genes on to the next generation. Mm -hmm. So now our body likes to pursue that rush and then get the flood of endorphins. So that's what subspace is. If I I know you've talked BDSM on some of the Mm -hmm. other episodes. So a lot of these guys want just enough pain to get that flood of endorphins. And then while they are high, they want a massage and have their head scratched and tell them that they're beautiful and they're doing a great job at work and that mm-hmm. kind of thing. So is the percentage of guys wanting that higher than women wanting that type of treatment? Oh. Do uh, you do women or do you strictly do men? I've never been asked to have a female client like i've never been approached by a female client that being said i have partners that are female clients and i've definitely been approached for those kinds of things it just depends i find that women can typically find somebody to do it for free because if you're really interested in this your first and like main priority would be to find somebody who's in the lifestyle that you can have a relationship with and you can build off that trust and companionship. Yeah. Now, if you're already married to somebody else who does not want to be part of that lifestyle or that you don't feel comfortable asking, I don't get paid to have sex with guys or anything like that. Mm -hmm. I get paid to keep secrets. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And since most of these guys are the CEOs and lawyers and doctors, professional athletes, things like that, they are going to be wanting my secrecy. Mm-hmm. And it was actually funny on one of the previous episodes, I know Hazel mentioned always having contracts mm-hmm. in place for legal protection. I have never had a contract. Interesting. Really? Why is that? Well, before they were talking about using it for protection so that nothing could come back on them. 
I think in this case, because they are the ones being on the submissive side, they don't want any connection. Like if I suddenly Mm -hmm. was able to show, look, I have a contract with him, Mm -hmm. that Mm -hmm. could be used as blackmail. Mm -hmm. So for them, they want zero strings to me. Extortion or, Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. And I happen to be the person that they trust most in their life. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm actually really curious to find out, like, how many wills I'm left in. <laughs> so, so. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> they contact me. I, I am their stress relief. Well, so I, I know. Ask, are you a confidant for a absolutely. lot of these Absolutely. You cannot beat somebody for an hour straight. You beat them for mm-hmm. 15 minutes and then you spend 45 minutes talking. Yeah. And so at the time when they have that flood of endorphins, now they're willing to talk about anything. I am their biggest safety net. I joke that I'm actually just a poor, poorly paid therapist. <laughs> well, that's what I was going to say. You're mm-hmm. almost like their counselor, yes. their therapist. Well, Absolutely. I was talking to Athena and I was telling her that it's a lot um, more mental than what I think people realize that yes. it is. Yes. Most people just think BDSM is just about, you know, pain and having, you know, kinky sex. But a huge part of it is the mental part of it. And if, I don't think many people realize that. If you spend your entire life stressed out, having to make every single decision at work, your family's depending on you to have a time where you can relax, put on your apron and serve tea and kiss a woman's feet. Yeah. That is where you get to let go and relax. Yeah. Do you think any of these, these men have affairs too? Do they have women on the side or do you think they're getting sex at home or what do you, what do you think? Very few of them actually mention having any kind of affairs. Um, in the point of like trying to think through, I did have one of my clients was talking about going out to Denver for like a holiday party, and he was sending me pictures of suits to help pick. And I was like, "Oh, you should take me." And he's like, "I can't, I can't take you on this trip." And I was like, "Well, is your wife going?" And he was like, "No." I was like, "Well, what about your girlfriend?" And he's like, "No, she can't, she's not available either." And I was like, "See, so I'm the better option." <laughs> so well, he could have just been yeah. fucking with me to say no, she's right, not available. Right. But I don't know. <laughs> so are they getting? So they are getting sex from their their spouses. You're yeah. Assuming. So again, it's a lot of the times what they're getting from me is not sexual. Right. Pressure. Right. And right. it's something that typically they're not getting from their wives for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. A lot of regular people aren't okay with with sounding let's Mm -hmm, say mm -hmm. and they wouldn't want that typically from their partner Mm -hmm. what's sounding that is inserting a metal rod typically metal rod down the urethra that is not at all what i thought you were gonna say (laughs) (laughs) oh see i thought when you said sounding i thought you meant a good local yeah that's being a good listener (laughs) that's how how (laughs) stupid i am (laughs) so is that is that something that's pleasurable it is something that i hear is very pleasurable do you get that request a lot no no not a lot Well, how what, big is the the usually small? They, like they um, come in sizes. Yeah, do they? yeah. Do they? it's actually we used to sell kits for it, and they were cervical dilating kits. So they would start <gasps> from very very thin and work their way up bigger mm-hmm. and bigger and bigger. Mm-hmm. Most of the time, you're looking at something that's thinner than a chopstick. That's thick. Like, oh. <laughs> okay, let me hear you. Yeah, when, I knew, when you're talking about putting it in your dick, that sounds huge. Yeah, it it's a pin. Okay, it's thick. Let me rephrase that. Chopstick is the biggest thing I have heard okay. used. I don't think I've ever heard that someone does that for pleasure. It just seems like it's it would not be. But nerve endings in there. That makes sense. Did you have to have some medical training to, to be able to do? I mean, 
I would be like, oh. I'd be scared. Yeah. Yeah, I'd yeah. be scared. <laughs> well, I don't want to break it. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's a metal pole and you go very, very slowly and you use uh-huh. surgical grade lube and because okay. staying clean would actually yeah. be at the risk of a, a UTI. Right. So making sure that your stuff is clean. It happens that at the fetish store, we would have a, a packer is one of like the floppy penises mm-hmm. <laughs> and we had one that had had a hole drilled in it so that we could explain to people mm-hmm. oh, what it okay. was wow would you charge extra for that I, I uh, would. on something like that yeah, probably yeah. like when oh, i say yeah. i start at 200 an hour that yeah. is usually the big bare minimum i'm, I'm staying mm-hmm. fully dressed and we're doing over the knee spanking kind of thing yeah um if it's a more extreme thing it's kind of a well where else are you going to go for this mm-hmm. <laughs> now are they allowed to touch you at all or not it depends. It's kind of like strippers. Mm-hmm. Each girl's going to have her own rules. Mm-hmm. And it depends on what kind of scene they are looking for. Most of the time, it's that pedestal that we talked about before, that if I were to allow them, mm-hmm. then I'm no longer the one in control. Right. That's true. So yeah. keeping them feeling like they are being denied something is an important aspect yeah, for a lot true. of them. And that's where that communication comes in. Mm-hmm. Like knowing exactly what they're expecting and that communication of what they're wanting, what their outcome is, what they're wanting, mm-hmm. that that plays a huge part in, mm-hmm. in being transparent and yes. having that good communication. And I think I have a background in psychology. So if I am working with a client, if I will try to find out more of what it is that they're looking for so that I can make sure that that is being met mm-hmm. either mm-hmm. through our talks or if it's a physical thing. I actually did have a woman that I helped. It was not a paid client, but somebody that had been a cutter. Mm. And so for her, she needed that in, that pain to get the endorphin rush. So we found that there were BDSM outlets that she could use where she could get that without actually causing damage mm-hmm. to her body. And that That's be- interesting. became mm-hmm. a good outlet for her. So explain, I guess, the the psychology and the science behind that. What's going on there? Well, just like I mentioned before, that if you have somebody who really likes to work out to the point that then they get their runner's high. If you have somebody whose body has responded to early trauma, like Athena mentioned, then said, oh, well, maybe this wasn't bad. Maybe this was actually good. And it becomes a protective aspect of our brains to go, well, I need to keep moving forward. I guess I'm just going to flood in this area with dopamine and keep running from the tiger. Yeah. Can I tell a quick couple of stories about this? So I've, I've dealt with that. So just growing up in New York City on the train in the 90s, pre-cell phones, pre-photos, it was a regular thing for men to be grabbing women, oh, yeah. exposing themselves. I was 11, 12 years old growing up seeing this, men rubbing mm-hmm. up against me. I was 11 mm-hmm. years old when it first mm-hmm. happened to me. And it is terrifying, you know, and and. 11, 12, 13, and seeing these things. And a man would sit across from me on the train and his full dick would be out. And uh, we have to get up and run, you know, or something. So there's trauma there, you know. But then what would happen is I would turn it into a fantasy. And I would imagine, well, what if I didn't get scared and run? What if I, like, indulged in that and enjoyed the attention of it or something like that? And then when I was older, I went to the doctor and I was sick and he totally was inappropriate and I was young and naive and he was like just you know checking my heart with his stethoscope or whatever and he had me taking off my shirt he's like full groping each boob trying to move them so that he could like check my heart standing between my legs like all kinds of weird shit and I'm not an aggressive person I'm not confrontational so I just dealt with it and I was like whatever let me get the hell out of here finished it left 
but it became one of the hottest fantasies to me to think about doctors taking advantage of me. Mm-hmm. And I never understood that till I read that book. And I was like, oh, okay, I'm not crazy. I didn't enjoy that. It was just my way of trying to not be terrorized in those moments. Mm-hmm. And it did become like an endorphin rush instead of that terror. I've had a few friends that have been assaulted or molested when they were young by other children kind of thing. And they said that they found that even though they were being forced originally, they discovered that if they took the more dominant role in it and were like, oh, well, if I give him the pleasure first, then he won't hurt me. Mm. And so it became a goal to get the other guy off as fast as possible Mm. and things like that, that then later on became a fetish for them where originally they were like, well, he's going to hurt me. It's going to happen anyway. Then I might as well take control and put it on my terms. Mm-hmm. I've always said if I ever got raped like at knife point or something, I would be like, let's go. Let's go. Let's do it. I was I would I would mind fuck them. Oh, you know? yeah. I would definitely be. It, yeah. it would go from a rape to a murder. Yeah. Like, I would run yeah. out. <laughs> they would absolutely be like, oh, what are you going to do with that? Yeah. Yeah. Come on. You could do it. Yeah. Come on, little buddy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Willow, Willow that says that, but you know she has that knife or a piece <laughs> on ready. her. Already. Ready. <laughs> Gotta cut that bitch. <laughs> I have a question, though. I heard, I heard on a, a podcast that women have i think it's like a 30 percent of women have this rape fantasy oh it's more i've heard that. it was 60 something i was gonna say yeah, yeah. I, I, have, I actually have the statistics from it earlier today and i it's closer to 60 yeah that shocked me because i never thought that that would be that high has it ever been a, a fan if i may ask a fantasy for you for me yeah yeah kind of yeah yeah, yeah. And, and, you can and, explore yeah. it as consensual non-consent, yeah. right? right. And that's and that's what this doctor, this sexual doctor, was saying that it's considered consensual and non-consensual. CNC. I've yeah. done it before. Really? Yep. Absolutely. One of my things. It's pretty hot. <laughs> it's a, super a, a hot. rape fantasy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. CNC. I mean, like, that's that's and how yeah. I've wondered that because I understand that you know, especially now they've constricted a lot of the pornography to consensual non-consent. You can't even search anything with the rape word or anything yeah. like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. How realistic is it for you having reenacted this? Like in the moment, doesn't your mind say, this is like totally not the real thing? How, do, how does that work? Is it very authentic experience? I mean, I guess you wouldn't know, God forbid it was actually real, but. Right. For me, I mean, it's like she was saying about the endorphins. Like, you know, it's going to happen. You don't know when. Mm-hmm. You don't know mm. what day it's going to happen. Oh, oh. so you had the agreement surprise. in advance, but it was a surprise about when it was going right. to occur. Oh, so you didn't right. plan it like, oh, right. we're going to do this on Tuesday. It right. was like, oh, okay. that, that's not part of my fantasy. It wasn't right. part of my fantasy. Sure. That so, makes sense. Yeah. So whenever we spoke about it, you know, what's okay, what's not okay, you know, what do I do in my daily during the week? What Did do I, you know do? where it was going to happen or was even that up in the air? No, I didn't. So when it started to happen. Yeah. How terrified were you? How, like, did you realize how how long did it take you to realize? Oh, wait, this is the fucking guy. Probably thirty seconds or something. Ah, okay. So, where does this but, this this desire where did it come from? Yeah. Well, uh, it's commonly attributed to two kind of things. One of them is being so irresistible that he can't help himself; he, that he has to be with me. The mm-hmm. other side of it is alleviating guilt, because mm-hmm. so many women have. That's right. uh, mm-hmm. in, have a guilt for wanting to have sex 
So if it's forced oh, on them now, the they it's out of. I'm not bad. It happened to me. Mm-hmm. Takes the responsibility oh. off of them. See, I think That's for right. me, I enjoy that um, masculine energy. I enjoy losing having yes, <laughs> and and so he knew that. So going into it, you know, I told him like be rough like i'm gonna fight you on this mm-hmm. like you're gonna have to fucking work for right. it like i'm gonna kick i'm gonna knock shit over <laughs> and that's exactly what happened like i was coming to my place back then and i guess he had been sitting outside watching <gasps> and so whenever i came into my place real. yeah he literally was behind me and you guys know me i'm just like in my little zone <laughs> You know, so whenever (laughs) I walked in the door, I just feel someone push me. And (gasps) next thing I know, like it was going down and, you know, I'm falling on the ground. I'm kicking. I'm, you know, I'm screaming and I'm I'm doing all of these things and grabbing shit. And I was so turned on, super turned on. Because he you know, could still overpower you. Yes. Right. And then that is pretty hot. I'll say it's part of my <laughs> fantasy with him telling me this is what I'm going to do to you and you're going to fucking love it. Mm. How did you know, though, it was him and not someone really actually you, doing right? it? Right. I just knew. I don't I just couldn't imagine. Did you see his face and realize who it was or was just energetically? Oh, wait, I arranged. You this. can feel their touch. Like yeah. if it's somebody that's your regular. Like partner. If he, yeah. yeah. And, okay. and he's not okay. he wasn't one of those where like we had had sex several times prior, like okay. for months. OK. And so he already knew what I liked. I knew what he liked. OK. Those type of things. Okay. And so, you know, I was telling him, like, this is what I want to do. And so. We literally, that's where that communication came in, Mm -hmm. whether it's at the grocery store, whether it's wherever I'm at, Mm -hmm. in my car, like wherever it's at, like that. And I remember for, and he waited probably like three and a half weeks until (laughs) we tried it one time and I realized that I had a partner that I trusted him too much. mm -hmm. So then anytime he tried to push an extreme thing it didn't I, work. It didn't work. Yeah. I didn't have the fear response. And right. he tried at one point. Yeah. I walked into his house and I was like, oh, man, everything's dark. He must have gone to bed early. <laughs> and so I heard a sound behind me and he <laughs> tackled me. He had put like pillows so that when he tackled, I wouldn't wouldn't get injured. See, but, yeah, that, that messes the whole fantasy. Well, and, up. <laughs> no, it was that I turned and looked and just saw enough of the light coming in to realize it was him. And he was like. You turn and they have the biggest grin on your face with open arms like, hey. And he's like, all right, nope, that scene's off. Yeah. Okay. So he, we had to talk about, okay, if he were to arrange to have somebody else rape me uh-huh. because I was going to not be scared if I could tell that it was him. Right. And I would be able to feel his touch and know or hear his voice. And so yeah. who he could put in that position so that I would think it was a stranger. Mm-hmm. How real could we make it? Right. But then there was the worry of if I truly fought back. Right. Because working at the college, walking across, mm-hmm. you were joking before. So, like, if I'm carrying right. Oh, this, you actually have a blade. Yeah. <laughs> there you go, Willow. <laughs> Willow's buddy. Well, yeah. So yeah. Then yeah. The risk of, okay, what safe word are they going to be able exactly. to give to yeah. be, like, this do is, not cut me. Right. <laughs> like, yes, right. Like, don't kill right. me. I'm trying to have fun. Well, so yeah, because I, that's what, if somebody was in my house and we didn't really have it really planned, like completely mm-hmm. planned to a T. I know Krav Maga. I mean, like, 
Yeah. He'll lose some teeth. And <laughs> he's, going down. And he's going down. He's going down. Yeah, I mean, I'll flip him. He'll be on the floor and mm-hmm. he'll be hurt. And I don't want to hurt anybody, you yeah. know? So we'd have. To Are you it. sure about that? <laughs> they have to pay extra for that, right? Yeah, you know, and, and I, I, we'd have to plan it to a T. You know, oh, okay. I, I want to mention. Um, so, not to make light of rape or sexual sexual assault, you know, because we, it's com, it's a very common fantasy, and I have the same fantasy, and I understand that. But I have had sexual assault, not intercourse, other things, and um, one of the most terrifying. And I, I look, I say this because I could talk about it. I'm really comfortable talking about it, so it's mm-hmm. okay. Like, there's not going to be. T- you're shedding but one of the scariest aspects was that i could not fight him off yeah. and i used all my strength and yeah. i was a 19 year old very strong young woman and it was like nothing until mm-hmm. he decided to stop and yeah. like let me go so that was something that gave me a tremendous fear because i finally mm-hmm. actually experienced a man's strength mm-hmm. which terrified yeah. me for a few yeah. years i really could not even talk to or deal with men in any way and yet and that's why i understand this thing about how we reverse it Mm -hmm. because it's like my fantasies are about being absolutely dominated and having someone just overpower me and see and that's that's with my first sexual experience i was date raped i was 15 Mm. and it was by a college football player and i did everything right i Mm. wasn't at a party we weren't drinking. Mm-hmm. We were at my best friend's house because he was friends with her brother. And he's like, hey, you know, I got to show you something. That's a new record. I got. I'm like, okay. And went in the bedroom. It was in the middle of the afternoon. So I didn't set myself up no. for that. Right. And that was my first sexual experience. And I don't even, I don't even think of that as my first sexual experience. Right. No. right. And I could not get him off me. You know, I was at that time I was like four foot nine and 120 pounds, 110 pounds, and I couldn't fight him off of me. But yet, I feel guilty now because I have this kind of rape fantasy. I'm like, why do I have at 53? Why do I have a rape fantasy after what happened to me at 15 that scarred me? Right. You know, my ra- my grades dropped. You know, right. I just was sheltered. I just didn't want to have friends around. I, right. And my mom had no idea what was going on, and they. She still doesn't know anything. My family doesn't. So why? What is is your opinion about that, Vixen? What do you think is going on there? Well, I think it goes back to what she said. It's a Mm -hmm. self-protection that we are going, well, if think about it from your your nervous system being like, I have that opportunity to reclaim this into something that feels good and keeps my person moving forward. Mm -hmm. That is what's going to work evolutionarily that we Mm -hmm. are going to survive. And if your body didn't respond in that way and you shut down and you end up not reproducing, then that gene is, and that response wouldn't be passed on. But the people who could survive, who did fight, who found a way through that trauma those are the ones who went on to have kids in the, for the next generation. So we would keep building up these nervous systems that I get more and more Resilient. good and, mm-hmm. and about surviving Resilient. things. Yeah. And I yeah. would say I've never had anything like that ever to happen to me. I haven't either. Mm-hmm. So that's never. the fact that you know. all of us come from a very different background right. and yet still have that desire. Mm-hmm. I think for me, like one of the reasons that I became submissive originally was because I found that if I was pinned down or restrained in some way, I had the hardest orgasms. Um, mm-hmm. that's, how I, that's how I started uh-huh. off as well. And it was because of that 
guilt-free. I happen to be hyper-orgasmic. And so I sometimes feel guilty if I've come 20 plus times and they haven't come once. And so then if I'm restrained and he's enjoying it, then it's, oh, well, I get to just sit back and enjoy it. (laughs) So that's what got me into bondage Mm -hmm. for Mm -hmm. that same reason. It goes to show you how much of our as women especially, our psyche, our guilt and shame there gets in the way of our pleasure. Mm-hmm. It's so yeah. prevalent. Mm-hmm. And I grew up in a family that was very open about it, that I didn't have a lot of shame put on me for anything. You mentioned uh, like having the guy expose himself on mm-hmm. the train and stuff. Mm-hmm. I came home at five years old and asked my mom why a big man's penis was so much bigger than a little boy's. And she mm-hmm. was like, okay, well, I had a cousin that was a year younger than me, and we took baths together and stuff. So she's like, well, okay, where did you see a big man's penis? Right. Like, not mm-hmm. wanting to scare me. And right. I'm like, grandma's magazines. Turns out grandma had, <laughs> grandma had hardcore hustler under the bed. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I do remember sitting there with her and her having a playboy and being like, well, the articles are so good. And me going... I can't read. <laughs> the pictures are better. Right. Yeah. And like, so then when I asked that, my mom's like, okay, well, let's go to the library. She got the book and she's like, your older sister hasn't questioned anything. We're going to give her the birds and bees talk at the same time. And I'm sitting there and my sister goes, look, there's a unicorn by the page number. And I'm like, that's what you're looking at on the page. <laughs> and so I, I, <laughs> that early exposure there. Yeah, um, right. and, <laughs> I'm, and I didn't have any of those early exposures to anything like that. I think I didn't see my first so, porn until I was probably 13. So, um, but I knew whenever I was married, I craved something more. Mm-hmm. And whenever I would ask him to do things, something simple as choke me or pull my hair, he was like, what? Are you crazy? Oh, God. But oh, well, I would choke you a whole nother thing. <laughs> right. But I remember just watching porn that was really aggressive at the time. And I, I think I was told Scarlett the very first time I ever knew that like BDSM was was where I wanted to be is a uh, I was watching this porn and this girl was bound to a chair and she was forced to have these orgasms over and over. And I was like, that's it. Can we have a podcast where we learn how to have 20 plus uh, orgasms <laughs> in a session? That's all. Side I, note. <laughs> I have actually looked at the world record and to find out what it was and whether or not I could challenge it. And I do believe it's like 137 <gasps> in an hour or something wow. like that. And I know my record at one point was 55, but that was in back, an hour. Yes, in an hour. Whoa. But that was back when I was 15 and with a guy who was a virgin originally. So I... My risk is actually you can get serotonin sickness from overloading your system basically too much. And I've been lucky that mine hasn't been too bad. And the the two times that I've had this happen, I didn't end up needing to go to the hospital, but they had to like monitor me a little bit. And like it just feels really hungover throwing up like kinds of things. So do you think that a big contributor to that is a lack of any kind of shame or complete comfort? With what you're doing? I think that is a big part of it. I Mm -hmm. also do think my body just is particularly sensitive to touch. Mm. So that makes it feel really good for me. I I know my body well. I believe very much in communication and trust. And so to get me to that level, I have to be with somebody that I can be completely open Mm -hmm. and completely relaxed with. Well, this has been fascinating. Absolutely. I've learned a lot. Thank you. (laughs) I feel like 
we're just scratching and the surface. I know. I'm like, There's I could so talk to her more. like all night. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> yes. Yeah, that is one thing that I quickly picked up on is that you are a very fascinating person and I wanted to be a sponge and just absorb yeah. it all. Yeah. So thank you for coming. Tonight. Come back. Please come back. Yeah. So with you. that, whether it's unicorns or Hustler magazine <laughs> or rape fetishes, whatever your thing is, do it without shame. Thank you for listening. Please make sure to follow us on your favorite podcast channel. And if you love this, don't forget to leave a rating and review. To connect with us and ask questions, visit us at goodbadhorrible.com. 